Welcome to the Local Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. With me today are Dylan Clarkson, President and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, and Justine McKay, who's an Assistant Vice President and Personal Banker for us in Rapid City. Uh, Dylan, welcome back to the, the Local Podcast. And Justine, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Justine. Occasionally I get to be on here. It's, it's an opportunity. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Well, today's topic is fraud. Um, Justine, you're somebody that sees many transactions across the top of your desk in a day. I'm curious, uh, what do victims of fraud look like? Are they young? Are they old? Any age. Are they businesses? Are they individual accounts? Both. Are they wealthy? Are they not wealthy? Both. It's anywhere in between. So if I can paraphrase for you, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. It's not old people, young people, people that aren't well-informed. It's everybody. It's everybody. Okay, Dylan. You are the president and CEO of a billion-dollar bank. You sit on national boards and are in an advisory capacity for banks across the nation. So why don't you make it stop? Well, unfortunately, it seems that the, the bankers that I interact with, both on a state and national level and our own experience at Pioneer Bank and Trust, we are just seeing all sorts of fraud across this country from anything from debit card, online, romance scams, wire scams, Ponzi schemes, um, it just seems to be escalating. And when I have conversations with my banker friends across the state or country, um, I hear more bad no news. I hear more answers like uh, Justine answered, I think, in the affirmative of what, you know, who is being, sub who are the victims of fraud. And what I heard Justine say was everyone. And, and that's the point I'd like to make. If you feel like you may have been the victim of fraud, don't feel bad because it's everybody. It, it is so prevalent now. Um, statistically speaking, I believe in 2022, well, I don't believe, I know, in 2022, there were $8.8 .8 billion of fraud American accounts. And that was an increase of 40% over the prior year. So that's just an indication of how quickly they're, they're learning new ways to get into accounts. Uh, I've been banking for 30 years. When I got in, people might forge a check. They might steal a book of checks and, and write some and get them through. We'd get it stopped. Well, now with the speed of commerce, they can also get into accounts that much more quickly, and you can lose money without even trying. And as you've indicated, it's uh, it's everybody that's victims of this. I, maybe to to dovetail a little bit on your question, Clay, that perhaps a silver lining is that well, certainly fraud on the rise isn't good, but it's also making our banker communities aware of it since it is going on. So um, we become even more sensitive to it, more attuned to it, and thus a better resource for our customers. Well, I, I can certainly say uh, Justine and I are forward-facing with customers more than yourself. We get updates from South Dakota Bankers Association, American Bankers Association, probably daily mm -hmm. on incidents of fraud we have seen and, and how to guide people away from it. Uh, you were telling a story before we went on air dear, here, Dylan. Uh, probably a good chance to just share with people all the different ways, uh, and, and we won't cover all of them, Hopefully we'll cover enough of them. We can help some people avoid being victims. But uh, share that story with me again, if you would, please. I will. And uh, unfortunately, it's very fresh. It was less than two weeks old, I'm sure. And uh, the situation was, um, I guess, a, a began with a fear-mongering scam in that a, um, a customer uh, that had was on her own um, I believe she was a widow, widower I can't state that for certain but um, fairly lonely in her life had been contacted by somebody uh, purporting of course not in person via telephone purporting to have her financial records from the bank 
and that they were going to share them and if she did not provide uh, $10,000 um, in the form of uh, she'd received it in cash, but I think then the next mechanism was to wire it, but not from the bank. She was in distress. Um, bankers had counseled her, then went to a different branch to withdraw an additional um, significant sum of cash, another 10000 um, Even she just wasn't being herself, was, was upset. Um, more counsel from the bankers at another location. Turns out that the combination of bankers at the other location, of course, not only knew her, but knew um, her son. And um, the fraudsters were also purporting to share, threatening to share information regarding her son. Well, um, the fraudsters were getting more desperate because they hadn't received the money. Turns out um, they had called her again. Um, the banker knew her son, spoke to her son. Um, son explained to her that this is entirely fraud. Uh, they don't have anything. And she ended up redepositing the money that she had withdrawn in cash. Um, but that was an example of at least, you know, her, her community of bankers, um, understood that there were red flags. She was very withdrawn, not herself, um, plenty of red flags. And she also didn't believe the information to be true, but she was too scared to not go forward as there could have been potential harm financially to her family. So um, sad that there was another event, but with a good ending and, and so sorry that she had the stress of dealing with it. So one of the first opportunities for us to learn, if it doesn't feel right, probably want to slow down your steps and, and proceed with caution. Sure. And just, you know, it, it, people need good, hard cash occasionally. But, you know, one red flag to our bankers is somebody that just this is not consistent with their business or personal needs. They don't ever withdraw more than 50, 60 bucks in cash. So now it's a large sum. Yeah. For what reason? Won't tell us. Won't tell us. Red flags, red flags. So Justine, I visited with you about coming on the podcast. One of the first stories you shared with me were the gift card scams. Can you share with me how that works? Yes. Oftentimes, a fraudster will ask you to get gift cards. Um, so they'll come and withdraw cash and then go purchase gift cards. And then they will give those gift card numbers with the PIN number to them to the fraudsters. And gift cards are as good as cash. It's gone at that so point. So what's the premise that they they come to the to our customer looking for gift cards um we've seen like publishers clearing houses another one of them they've won something but they have to send money back in the form of a gift card you will never be asked to send money back if you win something so you have to pay oftentimes the the tax ahead of time i think is part of it mm -hmm. you have to pay it have it delivered to you and, and they want that payment in the form of a gift card correct okay. because it is as good as cash and once they get it you can't get it back Will they wire that money occasionally, or is it, that one's typically a gift card? Typically, they, gift, typically card. a gift card. And in a publisher's clearinghouse, same thing. Um, and I think you've shared with me in the past, people often haven't even entered a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, but miraculously, they won. Correct. Yeah. And they just get excited that they won money, so they want to do what they're told to get this money in return. And oftentimes, it's not. I, I mean, they didn't they didn't sign up for it, so it's not, it's not real. Another one of those indicators for, for the general public, then, that if you haven't signed up for it, Pretty hard to win, so mm -hmm. probably should proceed cautiously if, if you get that kind of information. Uh, another one you'd shared with me was the, no offense to Microsoft, we call it the Microsoft scam, but they typically contact you under the premise of being from Microsoft and having some fixes for your computer, that kind of thing. Uh, 
I've not personally seen that, but you have. Can you share with me how that works? Yes. Um, say you're on your computer and you have something come up on your screen and they pretend to be Microsoft or any antivirus um, provider. Provider, yeah. And they ask, they will tell you that your computer is locked. You have to send them this amount of money and they'll get it cleaned up. They'll unlock your computer. And we have seen customers actually come into wire for that. Um, we've stopped that at the bank level, knowing that it was a scam. Ironically, when I got up this morning, I was flipping through my phone and I had an email that there'd been 28 detections of malware on my home computer. I work at the bank and don't have a home computer. <laughs> One more way that they, you know, they can reach out to you via text. They can reach out through you, to you via email. Uh, I've had probably 10 text messages in the last week from, uh, oh, I can't say the name of the company off the top of my head, but they're going to provide my IRS refund already. Uh, I just need to send my account information to them, and they'll deposit it directly to my account. I've not filed my taxes yet this year. So it's <laughs> January 17th. You're really on it, Clay. <laughs> no, Dylan, you know I'm not that prompt with things generally. So. Uh, other stories of things you've seen, Dylan? Well, I just, you know, I think about plenty of other stories, yes, and I'll I'll answer that too. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as we're talking here, so much of the method of, of the crime has a digital component to it. But that also means that we can share information across the state of um, a check scam or whatever it may be and that it hurts in the terms of of perpetrating the scam but it also helps in letting other banks know the south dakota bankers association has a statewide alert system so if there is a uh, somebody trying to to cash a bad check in uh, madison south dakota that banker contacts the South Dakota Bankers Association and an alert is sent out to all the banks in the state as they travel and try to perpetrate the fraud again. Um, but so maybe that's some good news here um, that we can com combat it. There are some mitigations yeah, in place. For, for sure. Um, so to answer your question, though, uh, more about what another story of fraud that I see uh, or have seen recently is... Um, implement or equipment related wire fraud. Yep, so good one. Yep. just to, to kind of give you a layout of how physically my office lays out the wire desk uh, is centralized for for us. And that's only a few yards away from my office. So it's often the case that I'm uh, very close to that. And I'm hearing our wire clerk saying, hmm, maybe this doesn't look quite right. And occasionally they'll come to me and, and visit with me about it. But this fraud, like all frauds, is remarkably frustrating. It is essentially based on a fake uh, equipment dealership type of website. Typically, they're selling some kind of uh, farm equipment or construction equipment, something fairly unique. So you're looking for that very low-hour bobcat, and all of a sudden you find one. Not only is it in great condition and very low hours, um, the price is really aggressive. Great price. Guess what? If you buy it today. Right. <laughs> right. And it's the right one. Um, so send us, just send us a deposit to hold it for you. And then I know you'll be taking your pickup and trailer down to um, Iowa where we operate and uh, to pick this up. But just send us 5000 maybe 10000 It's a really rare piece. Um, as a deposit so we can hold it for you. Well, the whole website is fake. The dealership is fake. Um, the victim generally isn't somebody 
that like the three of us is constantly receiving some type of fraud training, sitting behind a computer monitoring There's fraud. There's somebody that needs a skid steer this yeah, week. Yeah, they need a snowstorm. skid steer. Yeah. They're, and uh, so it's a great deal. They do it. Um, as soon as that wire is gone, the website's taken down in most cases. There is zero point of contact. Um, and they're done. The, the, the really frustrating thing about all fraud, but particularly wire fraud, is when that wire goes, it is gone. You can never presume that you will get it back. Um, you know, keep in mind, this is intended to be fraud. Uh, it's not like a mistaken wire. Uh, this is fraud. So um, seeing more of that, I, I can think of at least three or four cases of that that um, at least were attempted in 2023, some yeah. successful, some not. The most recent one I'm familiar with, customer came in just like you're saying. They found this great deal. But we Googled the web or the uh, physical address of their dealership, and it was a strip mall full of mailboxes. No inventory, no parking lot, no sales. So there are things you can do on your own. Just Google the physical address and see what it looks like. Sure. No, that's a two-second cure. Uh, call the local chamber of commerce to say, hey, is um, ABC Equipment? Still operating in your town? Who? So I'm going to ask you a preloaded question. With your reach in the banking industry, why don't you just call the police or the FBI or the Secret Service and shut these people down? Do, and do. Um, you can't find them. In uh, the... Yeah, I, I think, you know, I rack my brain as to why is this so much on the increase. And I think it's very, very, very uh, seldom and scarce that the victim, or excuse me, that the perpetrator is ever found. You know, there's there's other mechanisms in the banking industry that that we file that go to the authorities in addition to us outright calling the the local authorities and um, not to criticize them I'm not whatsoever but what a what a challenging crime for them to follow up on and I'll use this as a teaching opportunity hopefully for people listening out there uh, if you come into the bank and try to wire money we're gonna ask you a lot of questions and you'll probably find us a little bit annoying like why do you need to know all that well Justine's nodding her head at me because she goes through this every day as she takes in wire information we're doing it for your protection there's a reason we want to know the physical address of where it's going there's a reason we want to know the purpose because through our filter we can tell you by the time you give the third answer this deal is not legit we know we've seen this before or like yep this is all making sense they've got the right routing number they've got the right the right numbers the right structure to the to the request and a callback verification works and we protect our customers money yes it's time consuming for the customer that comes in to do that but really it is protection justine we've talked about uh the grandparent scam in the past can you give me the overview of how that one works i sure can and then I'll top your story when you're done. How's that? <laughs> um, the grandparent grandparent scheme is where the grandparent will get a call from who is pretending to be a grandchild of theirs, that they're in jail or in trouble and they need her to, he or she to send them money to get them out, get them out of trouble. Um, oftentimes they will send that money. Wire is usually how they would do it. Um, and that's not their grandchild. It happened in my family actually so it hits a little close to home my grandmother actually got a call from who was pretending to be her grandson and there's only one grandson in our family so she called him by name and he said yep it, that's that's me it's me yeah and thankfully she had hung up the phone and called her son his father to make sure that everything was okay and that wasn't what was happening and turns out it was it was a scam it was fraud how often have you seen that in the bank happen to people a handful of times not I don't think it's as much anymore as the digital stuff is becoming prominent yeah I had a recent experience with one of our our banks um, 
same deal. Grandparent came in, grandfather came, and he had a voicemail from his grandson. Well, uh, this is 2024 now. Um, artificial intelligence is a real thing. It was his grandson's voice that left him the message. Um, as fate would have it, he was a classmate of one of our bankers. The banker listened to the message, and he's like, yeah, that's him. Well, he had him in his cell phone, so he called him to see if he was okay. What are you talking about? He played the message for him. That is my voice. He's like, yeah, it is your voice. That's why I thought it was you. So, you know, with use of artificial intelligence, they were able to mimic his voice enough to convince even he that it was his voice. So certainly his grandfather was fearful. He wanted to be helpful, and we were able to, to get that stopped. But again, you cannot be too careful. Uh, double check. It's always with a sense of urgency that they come with these requests, that this has to happen today or there's going to be some some bad thing. Hopefully the wheels of progress allow us time to fix things before they get that that urgent. So, Dylan? Well, you know, that, that maybe is, is one of the more your story about AI is probably one of the more current uh, or evolving scams I've heard. Uh, you know, that's that's a new level of deception. Uh, but we can still go back to the check washing is, is still happening. You bet. And they're doing that. Well, we probably see it once a month. Sure. Check washing, um, good old mailbox check stealing. I just got my new checks in and they're in my mailbox and I haven't been home yet. And I live 20 miles outside of town. Yeah. The, the old methods work. Almost as good as the new ones. <laughs> and and we do have mitigants in place. We have a, I like to tell a success story once in a while too. Uh, we had a check washing occur at one of our branches. Uh, the mistake they made was duplicating a check number. So it showed up in our operations administration area and they noticed the duplicate. And by the time of, we opened for business the next day, $100,000 worth of checks had tried to hit that account. But we could tell from the duplicate that it wasn't right and we were able to shut it off. So th- there are things we have in place and technology we have in place, luckily, that, uh, that, do slow that flow and hopefully stop it before it hits your account. Um, speaking from a customer standpoint, I, I get calls frequently from my friends. Um, they're trying to use their debit card and it's slowed down on them or they have, we call it a warm card, Justine. Yep. Um, but there's been a transaction occur that our technology catches and says, hey, this went through Turkey or somewhere that we typically wouldn't originate business from. So be careful. Can you shed any light on how that happens for us, Justine? Yes. And it's even places, say Miami, Florida, or it might not be another country. It could be within the States. Um, But this service that we offer detects potential fraud on debit card charges and will place a temporary hold on that debit card until we get verbal confirmation from you that those were your charges. Will we send a text message to customers for that and they can respond Yes. In the affirmative, yeah. Yep. I had one myself where I was at a gas station and my chip wasn't working. So I entered my card a couple times. And before I walked out of the store, I had a text on my phone asking if that was me doing it. So a simple yes or no. Um, If you reply no to them, they will cancel the card right away so that no more fraud can take place. Then we shut down those transactions on that card until you can get a replacement card, that kind of thing. Correct. So again, I think it's one of those things that customers can find a little bit annoying because it slows down what they want to do, but it is a mitigant we have in place to keep those things draining your account of however many dollars they, they're able to get. And I would say we get upwards of 10 to 15 of those fraud fraud alerts per branch a day, wow. at least. So as you can, you're sharing, a lot of our our time at our desk is spent Combating fraud, which is one of the reasons we're talking about this today. We're of course. hoping to help people understand that this is a problem for us, it's a problem for you, and we don't want you to be a victim. No, I, I think of, and, and forgive me, Justine, if you were going to touch base on this, but it just popped into my mind, and like you know, I, I tend to <laughs> squirrel, then uh, regurgitate that thought. Um, I'm just thinking of, you know, the lifestyle, life 
cycle of our commercial a, a commercial business and their check writing. So they write a check to a vendor that touches how many people uh, before it is deposited to their vendor's account. And we hadn't had an instant point as a, you know a lot of people see that routing number and that account number on a check. Um, and generally, our commercial customers use uh, checks as a form of payment as, as much as anything else in some cases. And I was thinking of a case. And hundreds of checks a month. Right. Yeah. Twi maybe twice. Yeah, yeah. Hundreds a month every two weeks, right? Um, but I think about a customer probably three years ago, a retail customer, commercial customer, um, their checks had been duplicated. It was the right routing number, right account number. And the fraudsters were, of course, starting to attempting to run uh, really significant funds through there and did have some success. Uh, what ended up happening was uh, we <coughs> added the positive pay commercial system for our on our cash management for that customer. Therefore, every time a check cleared, they would manually approve it. To make sure it was a legitimate transaction, so you know, and and that's not a service that's available just at Pioneer Bank and Trust. Um, you know, ask your community banker to help you with a positive pay check system or their equivalent. They might call it something differently, but you know, there's to your point, Clay. There's there's some good news out there too. There's some technology that helps us prevent fraud or stop it. So, Justine, walk me through that. The positive pay. If if I come in to do that, is it a a big deal or is it something we can accommodate pretty quickly? We can accommodate it pretty quickly. Um, we sign you up for cash management, which is just a couple forms signed, who you're giving authority to, limits, et cetera. Um, with the positive pay that we offer, it's simple. You will upload a file of the checks you've written, which includes the check numbers, amounts, and anything that hits that account or attempts to hit that account that doesn't match that file is going to kick out as an exception. At that point, somebody from that company um, would have to go in and manually approve it or decline it. So, Justine, when you say um, cash management, am, am I right to think of that as a more robust commercial type of online banking tool? Yes. Well, you know, that stopped those customers using it. It has stopped some. You just have to assume it's coming, not not if. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's more when. Right. I'm ashamed to say I don't know well enough how that works, so if I'm hearing you right, you might write 200 checks that go through because they match the file. So that customer doesn't have to do anything. But if two kick out, you'll be notified and you'll go in and say, yes, I wrote that check to Dylan. No, I did not write that check. And we can prevent the fraud that way for someone. Correct. That's. I might sell more of that product going forward. It's a very minimal amount each month to pay for the protection that you're getting. Especially if you're writing several hundred checks a month. Right. And, you know, along those lines too, it part of a old dated information kind of like me but um, some time ago I had worked a little bit with a, uh, our cash management pro uh, products and you know for business consumers for individual consumers there's additional uh, digital safeguards that we can take like positive pay but also IP restriction um, tiered user access that type of thing so there's there's combatants as much as there are aggressive actors we do get better every day at putting up the fence <laughs> unfortunately we fence a spot and keep them out, and pretty quick they find a way around that again. So That's the nature of it, right? It continues to develop, and they continue to get smarter, and we continue to play a little better defense, and hopefully we get there eventually. But until that point in time, it's you know you have to be diligent. Um, 
one thing I see a lot of is people will hold their uh, checking account statements until the end of the year and then do their taxes. I would really, really advise people, open those up, confirm what has gone through every month, and if something sticks out, let us know. We can combat that. Even daily, um, check your online banking. Look at your recent transactions. Um, you're the first line of defen- defense, so as soon as we are notified of p- potential fraud, we can do something about it. And t- to that point, Justine, I mean, even if you had, you know, you, you were wanting to be very uh, conservative and reduce your digital footprint as much as possible to, as a mitigant, you could even have just online viewing access through our app that you literally just have to look at just to review your transactions. No bill pay, no person-to-person payments, at least for that monitoring. Five minutes. If that's... You're right. Yeah, that's a pretty easy way to play defense against it, I guess. Um, Other stories that I'm forgetting that we've talked about in the past. Well, uh, sure. Uh, Unfortunately, we've got plenty (laughs) for you, Clay. well, I, the more we can inform people about the ways they come at us, the, hopefully the, the more ways we'll be able to combat it. Sure. I, I guess the question, would, would you like to take that, Justine, or would you like yeah. me to? We both will. Um, another one is skimmers. You see these oftentimes on gas pumps. So if you pull up to pump your gas, something quick that you can do is kind of see if the keypad or the spot where you insert your card is loose. If it tends to be loose, oftentimes there's a skimmer device on it. So move to another pump, check that. It's that's just another way to protect yourself as well. So the skimmer captures your card data as it's used? Yep, they capture the magnetic stripe. Um, when you enter your PIN number, right there they have all that they need. They get the PIN and the card data? Yeah, if you select that you're Touchdown. using a debit card, it requires a PIN number. What if you're using, in that scenario, what if you're using your phone to pay? You know, you've set up your digital wallet and you're using your phone to pay for that tank of fuel you just bought. I'm guessing that that would sidestep a a skimmer? Correct. Yeah, your phone has to be within centimeters for that to collect that information. Well, I was... I was thinking about um, one particular scam that that really stands out to me uh, called a pig butchering scam. And this generally, uh, it's, I can't assume they're not uh, worldwide now, but generally originate out of Asia. And they start with a uh, accidentally sent text message. And of course, it wasn't an accident whatsoever. Uh, the fraudsters have sent you a text saying, hey, uh, have you had a chance to talk to Pete yet or whatever the message is? Of course, you say, I'm sorry, but you've misdialed me. You've got the wrong number. Well, but you've replied. That's the catch. You've replied to that text message. Now, that fraudster is going to continue to engage you, um, develop some common ground. So you're, now you're actually communicating with a stranger. So to interrupt here quickly, Dylan, once in a while... I'll get a text message from, it might be a local number, but it's not in my contact list. It says, hey, how are you this morning? Yep. And I don't recognize it, right. so I don't respond, but it could be, that could be one of them. Yep, that could be one of them. And and then that person might reply that with some kind of a, a reply that indicates they're involved in high finance of some sort. Oh, I just meant to reach... Jackie, she's working on a crypto project. With, on a what? Says you. I'm not Jackie. Well, oh, but no, but I, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have bothered you. Right. Well, tell me more about this crypto. Oh, well. So 
what's get happening is then that evolves into uh, perhaps a, a really small investment and it involves uh, more fake text references, more fake investors, because you're going to do your due diligence. You just met this person via an accidental text. I can't believe the luck. Um, you start to invest a little bit of money. Generally, it's crypto related. Um, well, you got a great return on that money and you want the money back. Sure. Great. Here's the money back. Well, that really worked. And I know it's not a scam because I just got my 5,000 back. So I'll invest 20 now. And that kept growing. That investment kept growing. So called a pig butchering scam because that keep feeding the pig right it's getting just a little bit fatter you're now contacting more of the references well guess who provided the references that sender of the accidental text right so you're doing your due diligence but you're talking to people that have been all you know fraudsters too purporting to be these references and sending still more money more money more money and um you know that there have been that i'm aware of uh, this summer, there was a pig butchering scam that ultimately led to um, a loss of $54 million. Million. One, and, and I'm not referring to pig butchering scams. I'm referring to one very successful pig butchering scam. They fed that one a long time to get it to that yep. amount. Yep, and with a lot of money. So to swing the pendulum all the way back, an instance where it took a lot of money out of somebody's pocket, uh, I think one we see maybe most often in our branches Um what we call the love stories or the, the scams where people are, are online dating. Um, they reach contact with somebody. Uh, next thing you know, they're sending them money to fly them here. To, in one instance, we had a, a young man who had a young gal in the one of the block countries of Europe. Uh, her brother needed a surgery. As soon as he got the surgery, she could come visit him. So to be helpful, he sent her, I don't recall the amount, $500, $1,000. Whatever it was, wasn't quite enough. Well, that was successful, but then the surgery required a little more. And they, they baited, they baited. He kept responding because he was wanting to be helpful. He was wanting to be kind. And he wanted her to be able to come see him. And by the time we figured out what was going on, he was a few thousand dollars into sending money. Um, and we put a stop to it. Well, then we noticed that he was still coming and getting cash. And uh, turns out he was taking that cash and buying Western Union and wiring the money that way. So in spite of all of our efforts, uh, he still believed. He, he wanted to believe so badly <laughs> that he had this love interest. Um, and we see that, Justine, you probably see it once a week, twice a week. I, I'm not giving you the answer. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I would say that amount. Other methods that you see that than the one I just described, the, the love stories that, that they're able to get into accounts, that usually involves them coming and getting cash, wiring money out to them, typically. Right. Well, we've gave a lot of, given a lot of stories, excuse me, uh, on ways that we, we see that happening. Uh, any others you can think of that we need to share? Going off of the pig butchering scam, one that has recently come to my attention is the Venmo Cash App, where you accidentally receive a transfer of $300, and they request that back because it was accidentally sent to you. Once you send that back, they have already hacked into it. Now they have your personal information and banking information. So they accidentally send you? Just for you to send it back to them. And it's the same thing. It's bait right. once you respond. Mm -hmm. That's a new one to me. But again, every day we find out about a new one. So What if you don't send them the money back? So actually <laughs> one, of our, Good for you. <laughs> one of our employees, it happened to her brother over the weekend, and they reached out to Venmo customer service and they indicated it was fraud and to send the money back. Well, he doesn't feel comfortable doing that. So he tried to close down his Venmo account and you can't close it down with funds in there. So at this point, he's canceling his debit card. 
and because it's the just debit card gonna is let tied it sit there too right. right you can tie your debit card or account number to it sure so close your account Mm-hmm. Or close your debit card. Right. Every time we think we've built a fence tall enough, they find another way around. Always. <laughs> I'm your host, Clay Berkland. Again with me today are Dylan Clarkson, President and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, and Justine McKay, who's an Assistant Vice President and Personal Banker with us in Rapid City. Uh, this podcast is revolved around fraud, and I guess we probably should dub it the Fraudcast. Uh, we've opened with several stories about ways it can happen and some of the consequences, but I, I feel we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't share with you uh some red flags that you should look for, uh, and then ways we can stop it um, in solutions, resolutions for the challenges once we've identified them. Um, now, Dylan, you sit on a lot of community bank boards, that type of thing across America. Um, and I think one thing, this isn't just for Pioneer Bank and Trust customers. We want we don't want anybody to have fraud on their account no matter where you bank. Um, and I think one of the biggest strengths we believe, and I think you do too from working with community banks, is the relationship you have with your person in the bank and what they can offer for you. Can you share your viewpoint on that? For sure. So, you know, I mentioned earlier the the alerting system that South Dakota Bankers Association has that really includes all the banks in the state, but at some level that that proliferates throughout the entire United States. So if you hear nothing else in today's podcast, fraudcast, please, if there's something that doesn't quite seem right, go to your Justine, go to your community bank. And don't speak be embarrassed. To don't Absolutely be ashamed. Not. Don't be self-conscious. Right. Go talk to. I mean, don't let your pride get in the way. It's okay. This is happening so prevalent. It's not just you. No, it isn't. And talk to that to that frontline banker or bank president or who whoever at your financial institution, run it past them. They're probably going to save you a lot of heartache already. Um, and don't please don't be offended if you if your banker is maybe asking you a few more questions about a particular transaction. It isn't that they're trying to be invasive. They're trying to you know they're seeing fraud all of the time. So they're trying to take another step to to safeguard your assets. If you're talking with Justine, she's seen enough of this. By asking one or two more questions, she can probably see even more potential poor outcomes. Absolutely. For sure. So red flags in general. Um, one is a sense of urgency. If they, if the, the perpetrator comes to somebody and needs the money by the end of the day, by tomorrow, or there's some dire consequence, probably a pretty good indication that there's something fishy. The red flags... If it's too good to be true, it probably is. If you didn't enter the publisher's clearinghouse, you didn't enter. probably a slim chance that you're winning. It's it. not your winnings. But along those lines, too, yeah, too good to be true. Or if you weren't expecting that text check message that you from just someone, write, yeah. that text message, that check, something that's requesting some kind of financial action from you, it's probably not legit. I, I wish to say there was really mana from heaven, but if you're not expecting it, you're probably not do it. So here's where we put everything back on your plate, Jess. Dylan and I don't know how to do this. So somebody shows up at your desk, you detect fraud on whatever level. What are the resolutions that yours, depending upon the circumstance, of course, but what are some of the things that you allow to solve that problem? Depending on the circumstance, we would cancel a debit card, close your account, and open a new one. Um, we do have dispute processes in place that we can use on debit card transactions, unauthorized ACH, forged, altered checks, um, and that does go through an investigation process to, in hope, get your money back. And that's with the local police department oftentimes? Or? Police department. Uh, we have a great team up at our administration center that helps okay. with this, too. You know Another thing, and I'm just thinking about some of the other questions you've you've posed and what we've been talking about today is that, you know, be sensitive to the kind of information that 
the fraudster is requesting from you. For example, I mean, the IRS and the bank isn't going to be sending you an email asking you for the last, you know, your social security number or other very sensitive information. A, we've already got it if we're legitimate <laughs> and your institution. So, you know, again, just take a step back, consider the transaction. And like Clay said, don't let your pride or don't be shameful about it. Just just ask. We see so much of it. We're, your community banker will be happy to help you, however they can. One of the really simple things, and you almost feel like you shouldn't have to tell people, but I, I think that they do it surreptitiously enough that, you know, people go on social media and there's a, a quiz of your favorite dog's name, um, the street you grew up on, and it, it'll be masked as a funny quiz. Well, what you're giving them are these little breadcrumbs of the street you grew up, the month you were born in, your mother's maid. All these help them build a digital profile of you so that if they go out there on the internet and if they happen to have your account number, now they can maybe access your passwords. So my advice is don't play those games, those little quizzes on Facebook or whatever social media platform you frequent because they're fishing for just a little bit of information that they can use to gain one more piece. Is that what you would call social engineering that would be social yeah. engineering yes an example of that so be careful with what you share yeah in general um, and, and i will restate one one resolution um, or way to play defense is as justine said look at your your app and see the transactions are through your account if you see something you don't recognize question it call us question it, it it's okay we would much rather take that phone call and, and answer that question than have you wondering and the next day something large hits your account we're your friends so so true. Your local banker is your friend. They so want true. They want to help you. They don't want these things to create problems in your Yeah, and, and so many times it's just that one little five minutes of, of interaction or a call to your banker or five seconds of looking at your app saying, oh, something's wrong, to save so much, so many hours of heartache and dollars. Well, I hope through our conversation here we've maybe scared people a little bit. I, I don't want to create <laughs> panic with anyone, but I, I hope you'll be more careful with what you're doing online. Uh, with the transactions you're undertaking. I hope we've offered some resolution for ways to mitigate the, the risks that you might find out there to be a victim of fraud. Um, any last words of advice, Dylan? Just don't hesitate to reach out to your community banker to run something past them if it doesn't seem quite right. We're there they to help. help you. We want to help you. We, we don't want to see you lose money as much as we don't want to lose our own money. Well said. Dylan, thank you. Thank you. Justine, thank you. I thank very you. much appreciate your time. Uh, I hope people find it informative. I know you've you've tried your best to both scare us and inform us and, and build ways to protect fraud from occurring on your account. Knowledge is power. Thank you, Clay. Pioneer Bank and Trust. Member FDIC.